It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. University campuses to industrial labs, Stanford to Hartford, Cambridge to Norwich, it's happening out there in Connecticut with of the CT Startup Podcast. This is another uh, podcast in the series of us going down to Stanford and talking with people that are uh, shaking it up down there. And this is another person that is doing uh, just that. And so we have Tara Watrous, the head of entrepreneurial transformation at, from the Stanford Startup Studio. How are you doing today, Tara? Good. I'm doing great. All right. So what are you what are you transforming? All right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's right in your title. So like, what are you doing with the, with the Startup uh, Studio? Yes, so we have seven students living and working in Stanford on our Stanford campus. And essentially what we have them doing is building product for the real estate and construction industry. So one of the things that I'm really passionate about is thinking about new and progressive ways for how we integrate industry into education. And so with this co-op program, we have partnered with um, both construction and real estate companies to co-create business cases. And we provide those cases to our students 
um, our students. We have we have a great sta staff of uh, consultants and advisors who then help our students run through two to three week sprints to come up with solutions to those industry problems. So they're getting real world experiences. They're learning um, agile and kind of the product design sprint process. And essentially what we're trying to show is that by, by rethinking the way or transforming the way that um, we think about education, students will be far more prepared for the future of work. Okay. So uh, I'm going to get to the future of work and students, but first off, how did you pick re uh, uh, real estate and construction? Yes. So it is a very interesting time to be thinking about the future of real estate. So as we're transitioning uh, back to work to a certain degree, I mean, we're in person right now. I, I say that with, with optimism. It's an interesting time to be thinking about the future of, of working spaces. I know there's been a lot of work around co-working spaces, but companies are going to have to get creative with how they use that in-person time. And so the pandemic, as well as kind of social and economic um, factors played into our decision to uh, focus on real estate and construction technology. We have par local partners in Stanford, which make it easy for the students to connect, network, do customer discovery through. And so there was a couple of different factors that that um, helped guide the decision to focus on real estate and construction. But we're building this co-op model to be able to replicate across industries. Mm -hmm. And so when you say replicate across industries, that means like the way you're working with these industry partners to come up with those use cases, right? And then actually provide those down to the students. That's like kind of the the the, the yes. competitive advantage or yes. the, the, yeah. the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think one of the unique differences with this program is that students put a pause on their academics and we have them full time 40 hours a week. So it's not just a class that they get this company project for and they work whatever, 15 hours a week max. They are working 40 hours together. Um, they actually live together as well, and so they're a really close group. Um, in addition to that, they're, they all, they're an interdisciplinary cohort in the sense that we have majors from human um, development and family studies to computer science to design um, and engineering. So we have a really broad range of uh, like specialty or major areas, which I think provide the students with an advantage as they as they start to tackle these problems mm -hmm. because they're coming at it from all these different perspectives. So co-op model, does that mean half a year, full year? How, how does that go? So co-op just means working full time. Um, these students had the choice to do one semester, but up to a full year. Um, and they will have to make the commitment as to whether they, they stay for the second half coming up in, in October. Um, we've already had several of the students who are here now commit for next semester, but we, they only had to commit to, to a mm. semester. And so co-op, so they actually get credit for this, right? Or no? No, so, okay. so different models, co-op students can either, I I think there might be some models where you get credit. I only know of like Northeastern. That's why like one of my business partners, he went to Northeastern and was like, co-op model was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So typically with, with Northeastern, um, you, you work for a company and you get paid while you're on co-op. So these students okay. are paid full time um, to, to participate. And I think we have, we were able to get such a great cohort of students. I think it really just shows that students are looking for experiences like this where they're gaining real world experience because that's what companies are looking for. And, and their coursework is where they start, but I think they need that application of what they're learning to really be marketable for employers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny is because uh, I was in a room full of business professors one time, uh, and this was actually during an accreditation process for a university. And um, I kind of just said, as an employer, um, I don't care what degree they have. I need to know that they can do the digital marketing campaign. They can create that. And so 
I like I'm telling you as an employer, I don't care. So yeah. what does that mean for what you're teaching right. kind of a thing? And right. so it comes down to can you can you show from past experience that you can do the job, right? Yeah. And and I also think so it's an interesting space that we're in right now. I'm a huge ed tech fanatic and I think what we've been seeing is a lot of ed tech companies are are trying to kind of compete with your traditional four-year degree but struggling to do it well because it's really hard to be able to credential and validate that students are gaining these competencies in short certificate programs whether that be weeks or even a couple months in comparison to having training for four years but I think what's unique about this model is that it's such an intensive experience that we feel like we'll be able to credential the students and validate that they will be workforce ready by the time that they're done, especially if they're here up to a year. So they will be ready to hit the ground running in a company as an assistant product manager because they know the process, they they, they understand the different roles, um, and, and they've literally lived and worked it for a year. Mm-hmm. I, I assume you're being very specific when you're saying credentialed versus accredited right and so like that's a big thing because my i actually heard it on on uh recently some people talking about like people think about changing the higher ed model or changing education but then still making sure that they're accredited right is actually like a that that, that's not how it's going to work because (laughs) you're just going by the same standards of the old system right you know kind of a thing so and and i think right now I still think that a lot of employers value a four-year degree, and I think it's their safety net, right? Yes, yes, it's 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 an easy way to validate. Well, for that. the HR department too, right? It's their yes. it's their safety net. Yes. And until so, I think creating ecosystems of stakeholders who will actually take students, if it it, it has to shift as a whole ecosystem, um, to be able to to start to think about that differently and. I work in higher education, so I'm not going to go too deep into into that. But I think it's it's an interesting time to be thinking about how higher education institutions really show their unique value propositions. And I think experiences like this co-op really starts to address that question. Okay, so I like how you kind of you step back a little bit. I, I work in higher ed, so I can't be I can't I can't <laughs> put all the dirty secrets out there and everything like that. However, you know, like I so I've. Uh, um, I guess I've worked a little bit in higher ed, have some uh, programs actually trying to create a co-op program right now through my business and everything like that. Um, And so when it, when it comes to higher ed and even education in general, I believe that this is like the best time to innovate. Mm -hmm. And because of the past two years, everybody's been like scrambling there. What are we doing? Business model shifting, like everybody elephant in the room of like, I'm paying $50,000 for what, you know, kind of a thing. So, do you feel like it's a good time to innovate on the educational model in, in, in higher ed or are you still on eggshells or what? Yeah, no, I definitely think now now is the time, right? COVID accelerated technological change in uh, institutions far faster than I think we would have had we not had something like a pandemic occur. And so it is an interesting time where if, if we see that change could have, occur- have occurred that fast, there's no reason that we can't be thinking about differently about how we leverage technology to enhance the education experience and i think i i think there's a unique opportunity for schools to get more specialized in what what they're teaching so that it goes beyond just um kind of general theoretical knowledge and really honing in on like how how do students take what they're learning and apply it and build out experience and in a portfolio that they can then walk in confidently into interviews after after they graduate or at graduations 
and and be able to really sell themselves. I think I was reading a statistic the other day that like 50% of undergrads graduating from higher education institutions do not feel prepared for entry level roles. So something is going very wrong and we need to figure out how we span that spectrum of theory through to application so that students feel confident and comfortable and well prepared to enter the jobs that, that they want. Yeah, it's interesting, entry level positions, it's like, that's the whole point of college is like to get an entry level, right. like even while you're right. at college kind yeah. of a thing. So, yeah. And uh, I, I also think that majors today are not as relevant as they were. So I, I, I'm a huge supporter of liberal arts education um, and I think it's really important. But I also think that there needs to be a more organic blend between um, liberal arts education and the way you're integrating for skill and competency development, right? Because so many employers, they're looking for – um, students to have these certain competencies along job and industry trajectories and and students are, are graduating from four-year institutions not having the competencies that they could or in my opinion that they should mm -hmm. so you know it's kind of funny is that you're in the realm of teaching entrepreneurship or you know teaching startups and like that whole like the whole thing about like hold on teaching entrepreneurship like it's all about doing it so like how how are you structuring the co-op to do that? Like is how much of it is like actual course material yeah. or is it just like, Hey guys, here's some links to online, go figure it out. And we'll be here if you have any questions. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting. And, and my take on entrepreneurial education is that entrepreneurship. So very few 20 year olds make strong entrepreneurs or become successful entrepreneurs, but the skill sets that they learn by, by attempting to become entrepreneurs or starting their first business, allows them to be successful in their next job or their next startup or whatever that might look like. And so I think being able to um, create accessibility to entrepreneurial, uh, an entrepreneurial mindset or skill set during your undergraduate career is extremely important because it can accelerate your growth in whatever job you choose. And so creating the on-ramps into entrepreneurial experiences I think is really important. One of the things that, that we've seen um, at the undergraduate level is that a lot of students don't necessarily identify as entrepreneurial. Um, and so they self-select out very young from experiences related to entrepreneurship, which is really, really interesting. And so one of the things that we targeted with this experience was making it a start and stop opportunity um, and starting to take down the, the barriers to accessing these entrepreneurial experiences. So by creating a co-op program where you start and then there's an end date, you're not oh, okay. attached to this idea of a startup or um, having to be tied to something for an indefinite amount of time. And the terminality of the entrepreneurial experiences provides them with the opportunity to build their entrepreneurial skill set, but not be committed to it for an extended period of time. They have the entrepreneurial experience. Yes. And... and, and, and for some of us who start a business, sometimes our ego is tied to it, our whole self-worth yes, and yes, everything, and yes. this continually driving us through. Sometimes it's good because it gets us through the dips and we're on the way up. And, yep. and so, But uh, sometimes it keeps us in the, the startup a little bit too long, yeah, right? Yeah, and I do want to circle circle <laughs> around to your question about uh, how do we how do we teach it. So it is this, it, it, it's an interesting um, 
attempt at us trying to blend working and learning, right? So the students have never gone through, or a couple of the students have never gone through an agile process before, right? So we're, we're giving them a problem and expecting them to go through a sprint process and come out with a solution. Um, but the way that we thought about onboarding was both kind of having them um, engage in structured sessions with different experts. Um, I think what's interesting about the co-op is it's not your traditional lecture where you're being taught a specific content or theory, but we're really bringing in industry experts um, around data, around agile, around mobile app development, around all these different elements where the students are learning from people who are working in the industry. And so they're learning in, in that more or less standard environment, but it's with industry experts. Um, and then what we're what we really like to balance it with is once you learn about whatever topic it is, then go and try and apply it. And so it's this very cyclical. Same with the sprints. Like you, you, you get the problem. We're going. We're having them do practice sprints. They're going through it. They're they're feeling it out. They're coming back. They're showing what they're learning, and then they're doing it again. And so this cyclical motion of like learning and applying is a key theme that I think differentiates the co-op model from what they might be doing um, mm -hmm. in a regular semester. So. It kind of seems as if, like, for the students, it's an entrepreneurial uh, endeavor or kind of experience, right? But it's also more of, like, an entrepreneur type yeah. of a... Of, you're, you're actually training them to be entrepreneurs yes. versus entrepreneurs, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it's... In, entrepreneurship is, is more and more of a, of a trending term that I, that I hear. And uh, I think that, to my previous point, it's really important to provide them with the skill sets to be successful... Um, in any job or opportunity that they pursue, right? So they'll have the skill sets if they want to kind of start their side uh, startup or small business or whatever that might look like. But realistically, the majority of students have to still, once they graduate, get a full-time job or get a subset of several jobs to be able to, to also do yeah. their, their startup on the side. And so we're, we're better preparing them for the future by, by thinking about how they translate this entrepreneurial skill set into a corporate environment or into a startup environment or into whatever opportunities mm -hmm. they pursue. It's, it's actually gonna, funny too, is because for me, looking back on my, uh, like, so I'm the type where I was digging ditches at 12 and this and that, and you know, just trying to, just just always trying to get an extra buck in my pocket kind of a thing. Um, and I've always had many different jobs, every, like literally the, the span of jobs I've had is, is, is vast. But one of the things that I've, I have always done is that I tend to just take on projects within a business. Like a lot of pro businesses have projects they have to get done, but mm -hmm. like, people internally see how so many like uh, problems that it's gonna uh, um, they're gonna run into they're gonna do this but an entrepreneur is always be like okay like let's tackle it an iterative process let's let's find out information about it do our discovery and then pivot or move right. on right and every single business needs that person like every single I mean businesses right now, over the past two years have realized that they need to become digital they need to be able to work from every uh, um, anywhere. And that takes like uh, a person within that business who's entrepreneurial, like minded, yeah. that's willing to test things, try things out, be able, get input from other people, right? And and it's one of, and it's one thing where no matter what, if you can do that, you're always going to be able to get a right. job, right? Because you're going to be like, I, I'll come in here and I'll help solve that problem. Yeah, it may be messy, it may be this, but I have a process that I'm going to follow, and yeah. we'll try to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the McKinsey reports, the PwC reports are all focused on top skill sets being innovation, adaptability, creativity, and, and you need that in, in the workplace. I think a lot of times as, as we get older, the, the systems that we're a part of kind of make us more and more risk averse. 
And the opportunity, one of the opportunities for entrepreneurial education is to encourage students to take a risk, right? And to, to fail and then learn and get back on your feet. Um, and, and I think that's unique to entrepreneurship, but it's, it's so important because what do we, students are going to get out and, and experience failure for the first time. Um, and then not know, not know what to do or recover. But if they failed 10 times over through their entrepreneurial programming, they'll, they'll be far more resilient. They'll be willing to take those risks in the companies. They'll be more innovative. And I think that's one of the ways that entrepreneurial education can add really great value um, to a student experience early on. And, and the earlier we get them, the more creative or willing to take risks they will be. And so we can really help to f facilitate and foster that skill set earlier. Um, rather than having to kind of reverse train students out and, of it. And you got to build the muscle of like taking a problem within a business. And even even like within some of the construction and real estate, they're probably problems that like they're, I mean, it, you need like a new approach to it to even get it, get a solution. Yeah. Like you need, you need somebody who's not in the trenches because those people in the trenches are continually always going back to the same ways of thinking yeah. around that problem yeah. because they're in it. And it's, it's sometimes you got to step away, right? Yeah. To be able to even understand the problem. And one of our corporate partners was saying that they paired uh, their superintendents on job sites with uh, first year um, new professionals to th and and the main goal was upskilling and training these new professionals get them immersed and exposed um, but but an unanticipated but really great value add was that these young professionals were coming up with new and innovative ways of viewing what they were doing simply because they were new to it and they hadn't done things the same way for for so long and so i think exactly exactly to your point like there is so much value in having innovative minds um who are in these environments and want to want to use technology and make changes and solve problems. Mm -hmm. So this kind of uh, this model is there. So how many students are in it right now? So there's seven. There's seven semester. students. All right. So what's like the scale up kind of like, you know, is it like seven uh, this year, then 49 next year, like yes. 700 the following year? So, <laughs> so it is it's an interesting question, I think. The hardest part of creating such an intensive experience is the time and resources that it takes to do so. So this will be a truly transformative experience for these seven students, but how do we start to get to that at scale? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think f thinking through different ways about how we um, maybe take students and have them then oversee other students who might be specific to uh, design or train the trainer model type kind of or, a thing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunities to, to think about how we, how we leverage resources specifically in such a environment as, as rich as UConn to think about how we, how we start to get to that scale. I think semester one, it's proving that we can accelerate the growth of these students through an experience like this. Um, and then starting to take a deeper dive into how do we, how do we start mm -hmm. to, um, affect more students. So uh, presumably you're on the same product kind of iteration cycle, just like the as students are, are yes, right? Yes, that you're, you're exactly. kind of right there as, yep, as a, yep, yep. Um, what are some of the things that have popped up that you didn't expect or that maybe that you did expect and it didn't happen or, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that's interesting is that students, the students were really excited about this program. Um, but there was a little bit of hesitation around taking a pause on their academics for a year, having to postpone graduation, because I think, like I said earlier, students are, are live in a very structured environment. They've been 
in school from K through 12 and then they go on to college and they're they have their their course of study and and they see they see the future for the next four years and then after after your undergrad you you're you have all this agency to decide but prior to that point they like they like to follow the path that has been set or that they've decided upon and so it was interesting in in starting to to interview and talk with students they were like wait i'm gonna have to change my my path um and so i think that entrepreneurial set mindset sets in you're like yeah but think about all the great you're you're gonna build your network you're gonna grow your skill set you're probably gonna be able to land a job that you wouldn't have been able to land had you not gone through this experience um and so really showing the value add and then once that was um kind of laid out for them it was like an easy no-brainer but but to get them to shift their mindset it it was an interesting and un, uh, it was something that i hadn't anticipated because in building it i was biased in in saying of course this this is a great value add there's nothing like it but not thinking from the, the student perspective um initially and, and so that was an interesting, and now the students who have gone through it, they're like pulling in their friends. And so I think as you start to build a culture around kind of changing the, the norms, it becomes a lot easier and people who have gone through it can then sh- share their stories and, and, and it's already, it's already becoming a lot mm-hmm. easier as we start to think about recruitment for the spring. Um, but the, the, that would, that would be one of the first things that I was, wasn't anticipating, um, as so- we went through that journey. So what I'm kind of hearing is that like you, like the, the students that were coming in, you would presume that they were entrepreneurial like pe- type people where, whereas probably they were just more like very studious, like they're like very studious. They, they're high achievers. They like to go after new things. And it's like for, I'm just thinking about it. Like for me as a, as a, um, you know, I got expelled in high school. I'm the type of kid that like, you know, like, but also was like very involved, create a mentoring program and tutoring program in high school, then went on to this up. But I was the type where like, get me out of the classroom. I'm yep. not like, yep. just let me go do something and build something. I'm going to learn way better. Right. Yeah. And I knew that all those experiences just in the back of my mind, like I, those, I could talk about those experiences and my fails and everything in a job interview and get, because of those, right. get, get the interview. Whereas I also knew a lot of people who were, top of our top of my class in high school very structured very very smart people but then when it wasn't structured anymore they were like oh my god like yeah. what's going on there's yeah. just like it and so it's almost just like those type of people and being an employer now and, and um, going through the process of hiring people it's like you do need you do need people that are very like disciplined and have a have a one-minded like track to think about one thing or like they do one thing good they're good at at computer science but they don't have they're not sales they're not this but there's some people who can do like do a lot of different things and so what i'm getting at is that regardless of like i think all employees need to be entrepreneurial like they all need to have this kind of this problem solving skill and, yes. and kind of a thing um but yet you don't need at a business, you don't need everybody starting a new freaking project. Right. And like going down like, Oh my God, we have this new business unit we can go after or this industry we can go right. after. Right. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting is that I could almost see is that you're not going after the students who are already entrepreneurs in their mind. You're, you're going after the people who are on the fritz. They are kind of thinking about it. Like, I don't know. That's what I was just hearing when you're, when you're talking about that. Cause again, coming from the, the thinking of, Who's my customer? Right. Who's the avatar? What's their, right. what's the, you right. know, what's their, their personality traits and yada, yada. Yeah. It's almost so. So in this experience with the onboarding, obviously I started structured <laughs> to a certain degree um, and and they're slowly becoming more and more uh, 
autonomous in, in the work that they're doing. Um, so I think it, it's a nice kind of middle bridge between the students who aren't necessarily um, starting their own companies. And I can't even say that because a number of the, the students in our co-op program, they, they have their own startups. Um, but I think that it is a nice bridge where we have some students who don't don't necessarily have a startup, don't have an interest in starting their own company, or maybe not yet. And, and it provides them with the guidance to to take that next step into their own entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will to say is that I assume younger, is you doing, is this undergrad or graduate? Does it matter? So it's all undergrad. Okay. We have rising sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And to your point earlier, some of our most creative students who can manage a variety of different things are not the most studious students. And so the, it, <laughs> it, it just goes to show that the, the system as it exists, it doesn't, whether it be neurodiverse learners or just diff- learners who learn better by doing, it, the, the, the traditional structure of sitting in a classroom for four years to get a degree doesn't necessarily translate for those individuals. And so how do we create greater accessibility to educational experiences that will allow those students to reach their full potential? And how many students are in the system that are just that, that are not simply because the existing structure doesn't work with their strengths? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 I'm just thinking, too, is that like, you know, you're you're provi- um, getting people who are like very rigid and everything and kind of like getting them out of the, their shelves and doing entrepreneurial <laughs> things. And it's kind of funny is that now, like I'm 33, kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a fully adult now. I'm out of that whole <laughs> thing, like trying to figure myself out. But I actually look now for structure within the entrepreneurial and the startup game, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you be structured in your kind of your pursuit of something? And you can still be creative and still, but like you have to have structure around it and being right. disciplined about it. So it's like, it's almost that kind of that, that ebb and flow of, of entrepreneurship where it's like, Sometimes you just have to let things go and, and just kind of like think of all the different angles. Then other times you just have to be very structured every day. It's, you know, I'm getting this done or I'm talking to 10 more customers, right. you know, right? So it's just. Yeah, it's also interesting with our team dynamics. So we have a variety of different skill sets. Some uh, students are really strong communicators when others are, are more on the technical side. And I think the other value of bringing together an interdisciplinary cohort is simply by being around students who have strengths where they might not, they're kind of organically working on those strengths. Um, and so strategically throughout different projects, I'll pair um, the cohort with one strong or not necessarily weak, but someone who it's yeah. it, it's a little bit out of their comfort zone or whatever that might be. And so the whole goal is to really help them start facilitating, help students who have naturally more soft skills or have had more experience um, kind of oversee and help others. And then vice versa, our more technical students are running sessions on in unity around augmented reality, mm-hmm. teaching our students who have never even experienced emerging tech before those skill sets. And so what a unique environment for also students to be teaching their their peers and that's like uh, I, I assume there's probably research done on this about how that that actually helps people learn better when you teach somebody right and, and that whole thing right? it's been it's been fun we're so being in in the tip space um with with startups we have i have these startups trying to take my co-op students and i'm like you gotta wait until after the semester <laughs> you got three more months all right relax relax yes yeah. yeah but just being in an environment where they're talking about with the startups about what they're doing so that whole networking component which is there um the students providing startups with new ideas has already been a thing. And so it's just this really rich environment where 
the startups and the the Stanford Startup Studio with our co-op students are kind of cohabitating in this space and mm-hmm. sharing ideas and, and learning from one another. So I have to call it out. Um, neuro learning was that was that the term? Was it or you said neuro something? What's the what's the term you were just using? Neurodiverse. No, yeah, neurodiverse learners, right? Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. What, what, Okay, explain that to me. What does that mean? So students who. Um, uh, who learn differently. So maybe if they um, have a re- like can't read or have dyslexia, dyslexia mm-hmm. um, there's kind of a whole large spectrum. And I'm not an expert in neurodiversity, so I don't want to go ahead and, and define it. Um, but learners who uh, might struggle to learn in a very traditional format, okay. right? So, so if audio could help or if different visuals could help, um, kind of thinking about how we transform traditional text into other opportunities for for learners to, even by doing physically it's like the doing personalized rather than learning, learning and all yes. that kind of stuff is that everybody obviously takes in the world completely different and right right and being able to to teach uh students um in ways that that play off off of their mm-hmm. strengths rather than trying to always work yep. on their weaknesses right i think the the education system is always trying to get everyone up to that reading level yep. but wh- why aren't we focused on their strengths to get them really excel in in whatever they're already good yep. at why are we constantly making them feel like they're not good enough listen i am a a horrible reader but me, i uh, me but, too. but i can i can crush uh audiobooks on 2x speed yep. all right so just like just just Podcasts. bring it <laughs> yeah, just, just let them roll <laughs> just let them roll all right yes um, i i absolutely agree and it, it, it's actually one of those things where i would definitely have been like i'm like there's definitely a lot of people who are just interested in different things and they're curious about different things right and that they just never connect those dots back to like their day-to-day learning or in, in school and everything. And I know for me, that was like the biggest thing. And this probably came when I was a junior or senior in college where it's just like, if I just connect everything to like a business that I want to start or this or that, like I'll actually be interested and do right. the work <laughs> and, and actually not think of it as work. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Exactly. And th- I think that comes full circle to the application piece. If we can show students how to apply what they're learning, they're naturally going to be more invested in learning it. I think even with sometimes with computer science majors, I'm like, all right, what what programming languages can you do? Like, do you know? And and they're not proficient in any. And so it's like, how do we get education to that point where we're going beyond the theory and getting getting to application? Because to your point, I think students will be far more invested. And and I also think what's unique about this experience is that as we think about aligning industry to education, we're thinking about what are the top roles? What are the roles of the future? How do we better prepare students for the, that roles? And how do we look at the jobs of the future and the competencies needed and, and reverse engineer experiences to be able to really prepare them to be successful in landing those opportunities after they graduate? Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing about uh, college, right? You have to get the job. Like that's the number one KPI, right? They right. get a job after school. Right, right. <laughs> And if we're saying 50% of students are coming out feeling unprepared, something's got to change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think just COVID in general, like, I think there's a lot of people, even in their day-to-day jobs, it was like, I feel unprepared. (laughs) Like, I just feel unprepared for, (laughs) for this whole thing called, which, which another thing about, I think that, I think entrepreneurs in general and people that are running business, small business owners fared better with the whole changing of everything during COVID because we're naturally like you have to be adaptable and like when when something arises you're just like all right 
okay we'll move here <laughs> like it's yeah. like it's like you're gonna you, you kind of like you know take take a uh, assess uh the situation right. and then you're like okay let's move on right like, and that's <laughs> life like like you have to do that in work yeah. you're gonna have to do that in your life and and so by by providing students with these ex- experiences where they get yeah. a taste of that they're, they're just going to be better off holistically very cool. So, so you know, we're uh, we're wrapping up the the uh, a long day of uh, podcasting, and and uh, obviously uh, this type of work re- is something that is going on all the time, and you are yeah. continually thinking about. It, I assume it's always on your mind and everything. So, I want to get you out of here. But how do so? How this obviously only to UConn students. This is not for you know any uh, students in, in the, the state or anything. So, how can other UConn students? Uh, get involved uh apply for this or, or what like what do you are how many people are you looking for to to get into the kitty for next year or what yeah so we'll have eight students for the fall and um, we'll be live with uh with the application starting tomorrow actually okay. um and so students can apply for for the spring spring semester and then hopefully in the future we can offer more more than eight spots um moving forward so that's that's a matter of time and resources um and funding so if any funders are listening and want to want to connect with me please do so all right and then (laughs) what about what about industry partners Uh, are you looking for any other real estate or construction partners i mean i think we're always open to conversations so if if there is interest absolutely um for sure all right, cool. Well, if if they are, where should they contact? So they you? can contact me via email at tara.watris at yukon.edu or connect with me on LinkedIn. All right, very good. Well, Tara, very good to uh, meet you and to learn about what you're doing. And I uh, only assume that I'm going to be seeing more of you <laughs> and and your students and, and so forth. So. Awesome. I hope so as well. All right, thank you. Thank you. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to the CTC. More connected to information and events can be found at CTStartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be found on the